Howdy, folks. Before we get started, I have two requests today. The first is I'd love to get your suggestions for topics or guests for this podcast. Broadly, I'm looking for people I can talk to about the tools that are advancing life sciences. You could say it's more about the inputs than the outputs. My email is chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. And the second request is, if you haven't already, please subscribe to my Substack. I'm planning to grow that beyond just posting these podcasts with more written content and community activities. Now, let's jump into it. Okay, my guest today is Ole Vorm. He's the founder and a director of EvoCEP Biosystems. Ole, welcome to CC Life Science. Well, thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so we're going to talk about clinical proteomics today. Um, but first, tell us a little bit about EvoCEP, how you got it started, and oh, how that went. Yeah, well, it's 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 a short story and a long story. EvoCEP dates back to only 2016, so it's almost seven years old. Um, a lot of the people at EvoCEP have actually worked together in different other companies since quite a long time. Personally, I started um, my first proteomics company, which was called Protana back in 97. And I actually have a colleague that dates back from the, the late 90s. But we sold that company to MDS International, a Canadian health conglomerate that, that owned Sykes at the time. Um, and, and later I started another company called Proxen. It was in probably 2002. Uh, I got joined by a few more colleagues and several official scientific acquired that company in 2010. And, uh, a lot of us stayed on board with Thermal for about four years. And then, uh, unfortunately, Thermal, uh, closed the office in order to, uh, I guess preparing for further growth. Um, and, and then, uh, Part of the team at the time moved on to Booker, where we were for two years, from 14 to 16. And then we started EvoShap in 16, basically from, from seeing that there was this turn in the market where, you know, proteomics was increasingly um, relevant for, for clinical use. And from our perspective, that, that meant we needed as a field uh, a, a new front end for a mass spectrometer. So we had a we had a a product ambition or a a let's say a, identified a, a gap in a coming market, uh, and I should still say coming because it's not we're not quite there yet. But but I, I think it is coming. It's coming fast, and and uh, it it needs um, still some technology development. But uh, that's what we found it, it was it to do, and that's uh, that's exactly why I reached out to you to talk about this today. Because um, some people might know who listen to this podcast that I was a Marcom director for MassBec at Thermo at the time um, when they bought Proxion, or shortly thereafter. Um, and no one in this industry will be surprised at all the companies you've worked for because that's how we all do it, right? <laughs> We've been, you know, people. At, Variant Thermo Agilent yeah. Broker, yeah. right? But I got curious about uh, clinical proteomics because I know it's a thing, but I don't know how far along it is. And so that's really what I want to talk about today. So 
when we're talking about clinical proteomics, I presume we're looking for some biomarkers um, as proteins. And correct me if it's not proteins, but tell us what exactly are the markers that we're looking for? Or how How is it done? Yeah, I mean, I, I think clinical proteomics means different things to different people. And I, I think at this point in time, it's probably best to view the field as in, in very broad terms and, and to think of multiple technologies, not necessarily just bath spectrometry, but other types of readouts. Um, sometimes you can think of, of proteomics maybe in isolation as being just proteins, or you can think of it as part of a multi-omics diagnostics where you also need DNA-based and, 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 and metabolomics uh, data as well. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a broad category of different types of data that should be viewed in, in, you know, in different ways uh, and utilized in different ways. But it could be something as simple as you know, just detecting the proteins in a body fluid um, to either diagnose something or monitor the treatment of, of a patient. Right. And yeah, go ahead. Coming from from where I'm coming from, of course, proteomics to me is mass spectrometry based, for sure. And that's not really a simple thing for people who aren't in this world. I don't. It's not a simple pe- thing, I think, for people who are in the mass spec world, right? But um, there are different ways to analyze proteins. Yeah, absolutely, and and. Uh, unfortunately, I should say, I guess the, the entire tool chain is, is quite long. We, we think of starting with a patient where you need some sort of patient material. So typically you want it as, non, as non-invasive as possible. So starting with readily accessible fluids like saliva, urine, but then also blood, cerebrospinal fluid, it becomes more invasive. But And then lastly, of course, you can have tissue from, from biopsies. But starting with a patient sample, you do need to have a quite comprehensive um, workup to get to the proteins in a format that you can actually analyze with a mass spectrometer. So you could either analyze the intact proteins, what we call top-down proteomics, or you can cut them into medium-sized chunks, which would be middle-down, or what most people do is chop them into tiny bits with uh, enzymes like trypsin, which will then produce peptides and you analyze the peptides with mass spectrometry. And right now, of course, that is what is by far the most predominant way of doing it and probably also the fastest into the clinic. Okay. So that, I mean, it makes total sense that you're looking at all those different fluids and even tissues, which I hadn't thought about. I mean, I typically think of blood um, and then understanding that there are a lot of proteins in blood. It's also, at least from my perspective, having worked with it for DNA prep, it's hard to get things that you want out in a clean way, right? And then we're chopping proteins into lots of pieces and looking for a needle in a haystack to some degree, right? Yeah, that is definitely a needle in the haystack, especially when it comes to proteins. Um, so unfortunately with blood, it's a very, very messy liquid with all kinds of 
cellular debris and and it's the transportation system of the body and 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 to some extent the sewer system of the body so you have you have lipids there you have you have um all biopolymers that, that you can think of including dna and, and and rna and so and and then you have unfortunately also some helpful proteins that are probably not clinically that interesting to monitor at least not very disease specifically like the albumins, the globulins, and, and they make up a very, very large proportion of the total protein content in blood. So 99% of all protein in blood is basically coming from, from say, four, 14, 15 household proteins that diagnostically are probably not that relevant. And so we're digging for that needle in, in or looking for the needle in the haystack, which only is comprising 1% in total, but split across maybe 10,000 different proteins. So whatever you're looking for, it, you, you are up against this, this tremendous uh, background. It, it's not easy. And so this is great. Um, there, there must be some ways to, like by affinity purification or something, to look at. But then you're maybe looking too narrowly if you're going to use some a- antibody affinity, like, what what comes before you put it into the mass spec? Well, or are you, um, are you putting the whole thing in and hoping that that you can find it? Well, that, that's that, that different. There are different approaches to that. One one thing you can do is take just the the, the plasma from from the patient sample and you digest all the proteins in there. You inject everything you know, using chromatography to separate the the different peptides going into the last spectrometer, but you inject everything. And that means you are up against this huge background of the 99% protein that is just a few species that you don't really want to look at, but you're looking for the so the, the lower abundant or the, the, the proteins that are in between the high-level high ones. That way you tend to identify somewhere in the vicinity of like 300, 400, 500 proteins. So out of maybe 10,000 that should be detectable, that's of course not a whole lot. I mean, that's a tiny snapshot of what is there. Um, yet, you you also do see peptides from interesting um, proteins. And if you look at all the, I mean, a, a large number of FDA-approved biomarkers that are um, used for diagnostic purposes using ELISA. I mean, they are in the clinic and are being used or, uh, extremely abundantly today. You, you actually do detect them with a simple injection of a digested uh, plasma sample. You, you do see them and, and you can quantify them. So typically you can readily identify and quantify 50 of these biomarkers in, in one injection without having to do multiple ELISAs if one wanted to. So Again, from a theory, from a diagnostic perspective, right now that's maybe not so usable. But but at this point, you can. When you say it's not so, usable, is that because there fifty isn't enough, or? Well, I mean, it's 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 somewhere it's somewhere in between it's somewhere in between a little and a lot. Uh, so if a if a physician wants a diagnosis, they. They, they never start out uh, from a blank sheet of paper. I mean, they, they have an idea what they're looking for and, and you know, uh, asking for the quantitation of, say, two or three biomarkers, I mean, proteins, basically. 
would typically suffice to say, okay, we're in this direction versus going in that direction. And that is very cheaply automatically automatically done with ELISA, so running on a fully automated uh, robotic platform in, in the clinical biochemistry labs. So, so providing them another 47 biomarkers, I mean, they, they don't need the information. It doesn't, it doesn't really provide anything that, that they need to know. But conversely, if you look at this, this complete fingerprint of a disease, then unfortunately, 300 proteins in total, even if it includes the, the 50 biomarkers that, that, that you can readily detect, that is maybe not enough of a fingerprint to uniquely identify disease. I, you, you, you're not deep enough. So, so where we are right now is, is I mean, information overflow to a, a, a normal physician and what they, what they want to know, but it's maybe not quite enough for uh, unique detection of something in in, in in a disease. Got it. So that sort of leads to my next question. And just so I understand or confirm my understanding, you can give a physician more than they need and they can get what they need in an easier, more routine way with the Elias's. Yes. And yet you're not quite where it sounds like you would hope to be to be able to give a much bigger picture that might point more directly to the final answer by analyzing more proteins. Yeah. So where things are heading, and, and I think things are going pretty fast, um, I think we will be growing from like detecting the 300 proteins per patient to very quickly being above 1,000 proteins per patient probably closer to 1500 then with a simple injection on a mass spectrometer. And that then begins to be a, a quite a more detailed and you uh, presumably will also dig deeper into the, the, the abundance range and get more and more proteins that are um, low level, but controlling or, tissue leakage from some damaged organ, for instance, in the case of a cancer. So they're not necessarily meant to be a present in blood, but they're there at a very low quantity. And, and we're getting gradually to that point where we can see more and more, and, and we can do it very quickly and very routinely. So at this point in time, we, we probably don't have the detection depth. We probably don't really have the throughput yet, and we probably don't have the robustness yet. But I think it's all coming together in the next couple of years. And then we should put on top of that uh, different improvements in AI uh, to be able to have software interpret the data in manners that, that we as human beings have a hard time doing. Uh, I think that that is then going to move the, the, the field dramatically over the next two to three years. So I have a couple of questions there. One, I'd love to hear about the AI because that's really how this podcast got started was how is AI being used in life science? But it sounds like one of the things I'm interested in, is there a vision for like how, what would it take with those 1500 proteins give you a diagnosis of something? Or um, I'm very much interested in the sort of the preventative aspect of medicine 
And like, how do we detect things earlier or tell somebody that you ought to be doing this or that? And it seems like that big picture um, would be useful even before a patient is complaining of something like on a routine checkup. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely coming. Uh, but you can see things going in, in multiple directions. Um, I, th- I think what we're going to have to go through over the next few years will be discovery work where we are going to have to analyze thousands of patients, knowing that some will be patients, some will be controlled. But you're going to have to do that with a with a very deep, uh, discovery depth on a per, per patient basis. And then we will find novel biomarkers and, and new types of information that associate with different diseases that can be used where, again, it's not maybe an individual protein you find. It's very rare that you have one protein means one disease. I mean, you, would have, you would have patterns of proteins that will then be the diagnostic, which will be sufficiently specific and, 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 and sensitive. And, and that number of proteins that you may need to see for a given disease could be like a handful or 10, 15. You don't, once you know what you're looking for, you don't necessarily need to get to 1,500 or 2,000 proteins per patient. Once, once you know what pattern you're looking for, then you can be more selective. For instance, poor the, those proteins out as a panel with a um, multi-antibody bead that, that picks like 20 different things out of the blood sample and you can run them very easily and very quickly with, with mass spectrometry as a readout. So I think first we have to go broad and, and broad and deep, but then it, eventually once you know what you're looking for, it can be quite a, quite detailed, accurate, but, 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 uh, to the point that you don't have to be bored anymore. So my next question was going to be, what what is your goal, your vision for how this works? But it sounds like be able to find more proteins, analyze the patterns, figure out which ones are important for different diseases, then specifically do those. And then I'm going to jump to my next question, be able to do those at high throughput. Is that fair? Yeah, so um, um, I'm as a company. I mean, we're we're just a tool maker. All all we do is make uh, the tools and technology that is between the, the patient and the vast spectrometer. So right now, the first product we made is a separation device. It's called the Evosep One, which is meant to be a relatively high throughput separation system that can separate a peptide mixture on its way into the vast spectrometer. Um, our methods can be as fast as 500 samples per day, which is less than three minutes cycle time. Um, so that, that is one of the things that will be required once you're in the clinic. Um, things will go fast because you have very many clinical samples per lab, essentially. Another thing that we designed to us was robustness. Um, again, a lot of the technology that's out there, and, I, I, and, and including the things that I've also worked on, my team has worked on for the last 20 years, um, are, are working really, really well. But they were all intended for research labs, having PhD users who are expert in using that type of technology. And once you're in the clinic, you know, you'll find your equipment being used in a clinical biochemistry lab, for instance, where 
um, people just don't don't have the time or the knowledge to deal with specific day-to-day problems and then so there can be none robustness becomes key i mean things just have to work no buttons on the system just just somewhere in the software a a go button and 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 then the rest shall shall have to be a black box basically so throughput and and robustness will is absolutely key once you have the clinic and and you know as as when we started eurosep i think that was one of the the big max that that we saw in the market that that there was no such sample introduction device ahead of the last back. So that that we try to make, and and now we're spending more and more time on um, automating sample preparation so that you can start out with a patient sample and end up uh, with our separation device and, and go into the last back. So we've got a complete um, package of 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 well, workshops and 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 and, and um, consumables and protocols to get you from the patient sample into the mass spec, and nice. that all has to be fully automated, very robust, sensitive enough so you can actually see what you're looking for. Um, and, and I, I think we we still, I mean, both Eversep and other other companies, lots of lots of academic groups are working on this. So it, it, it is going the right direction, absolutely. Yeah, that answered my question about the obstacles. So robustness, throughput, sensitivity, making it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and and as a field and as a science, I, I think proteomics by by mass spectrometry is still quite some way away from being ready for prime time clinical use. If you look, if you just look at the numbers. Um, I mean. Protein analysis with ELISA is probably half of what clinical biochemistry labs do. I mean, they also look at tons of small molecules, and and, and uh, but, but proteins are are very very frequently used biomarkers. They are, but not with a mass spec readout. And if you look at the 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 needs, um, you, you probably have on average in the Western world uh, roughly ten protein based readouts per year per citizen. So in a place like the US, that would be two and a half to three billion protein-based ELISA tests being performed. And if one was to do that with a mass spectrometry, I mean that that would require a hundred times more mass spectrometers than we have today, right? Or or even more. And and we're, so so for from a just just looking at the throughput requirement, we're, we're quite far away from being able to replace anything. And I, I don't think we are going to replace the, the already established technologies. I think we, we will see clinical proteomics being used in for new diagnostics and, and new ways of, of performing, let's say, precision diagnostics with precision medicine following. Um, so it's going to be on top of what is already done. Yeah, not, so not rather than replace replacing. something, yeah. you're going to add it to maybe some genomic analysis or metabolic analysis and just another yeah, piece or, of Yeah, or current diagnostic. Current diagnostic. Um, also, I would imagine that it, it will eventually also be used to, to actually monitor 
treatment of patient to see if, if they are improving, I mean, getting better, or if, if things are not working, should you change medication, should you do whatever? And so it's, it's both in the diagnostic stage, but also in, in, in the actual therapy, during the actual therapy. Um, that raises, yeah, a question like just in proteomics in general or biology, even more broadly, do we know enough about which proteins, like out of all the proteins we have, are there some that we don't even know that we should be or that we will be looking at when all this comes together? Like, does that make sense? Um, yeah, but for, I guess for a number of things, what, what we eventually will be looking at will be proteins that may be quite... I, I should say unrelated to the to a disease, but it could be some steps remote from the disease, but they still become indicative of of the disease or the improvement. So as as you get treated, you can see that there is a benefit to the treatment. It's not necessarily proteins that are specific to that disease, um, but but you can still monitor the progress. Um, right, some second order effect. So in that sort of answers my question about and maybe where the AI analysis comes in. My real question, if I state it better, is do we know enough about protein biology to to understand these things? But if we can analyze them, these fragments with AI and see those patterns, then we'll know. Yeah, so so they the problem is probably a lot worse than we think because at, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's probably unlikely that, that it's the presence or absence of a protein or even a set of proteins that, that would be the, the, the actual biomarker for a disease. It, it's going to be worse than that. Um, it, it'll come down to very, very specific details like spice variants, truncations, um, incorrect processing of proteins as they are formed or partial degradation later in, in the protein's life. Uh, post-translation modifications, we know play a huge role and it could be, it could be down to individual peptides being processed or having a slightly different post-translation modification and to a degree. So it can be 10% phosphorylated versus 15 will be the differentiating, uh, will be the differentiating biomarker between this disease versus no disease. So it, I think the details are, are going to matter a lot. And that makes the, it also means that the, the picture that, that we're trying to identify as, as being, this is the diagnostic marker. It's going to be hugely complicated. So multiple proteins with multiple um, stages and, 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 and isoforms. Um, and then that may dynamically change over time. And, and, and that again ends up with, you know, this is something that probably does call for AI because it's something that, that we almost, we, we cannot computationally program our way out of finding all these different traits. And, 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 and human brain power certainly will not be enough. Yeah. So, so I think we, we are forced to look in that direction. And, and, and luckily things are coming together very nicely. Well, that's good to hear because, I mean, the, the whole post-translational modification thing just seems like another level of 
complication <laughs> to I, analyze. I absolutely probably yeah. Um, and then, but I will say, it seems like glycobiology is catching up a little bit. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> <laughs> you, you're having some reaction now. You get to tell oh, me what you're wow. thinking. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I think glycoproteins are, are only for the absolutely brave. That that is uh, <laughs> that is uh, that, that is that is really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, did I miss anything? I mean, we sort of talked about your vision for the next few years, but if there's some other um, thoughts that you have going forward about where this is all going, or what needs to happen, what you think will happen. Well, um, I mean, we know of several labs that run now experiments with thousands of samples. Uh, back when we started, it was seven in 16, and we asked around, you know, if people had a large experimental cohort. The ones who said yes would typically mean like 100 or 200 patients. I mean, if, if you look, if total clinicians who've been looking at small molecules or the pharma companies looking at clinical trials, to them, a hundred patient cohort is very, very little. And to try to identify, statistically speaking, a, a complicated protein pattern based on a hundred patients, it is very, very hard statistically. So I think w what we see now is that there are quite many experiments ongoing where, where the cohorts are into the thousands. And that will make it much more likely that we can eventually statistically identify patterns that that are meaningful and that 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 can be associated with with the disease um, that 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 you might be looking for. So things are going the right direction already. Um, I think again, you know, we we will get to bigger depths of identification and quantification with mass spectrometry over the next year. Um, I think. The mass specs have moved fantastically well over the last. I mean, there's been a continuous journey, of course, but it, it's it's gone tremendously well. And now you have multiple systems on the on the market that that are are fit for the purpose. Maybe with the exception of the robustness, where again, it, it's not so established that that you can have a mass spectrometer, which is a complex, high resolution analytical system. That that can sustain injection of 500 blood samples per day for a year um, without intervention. Uh, that that probably is unlikely at this point. It will hopefully come, but that that may be the weakest link right now. Um, but but I I do think things are progressing, and and I think you know what is really really needed in our field would be sort of like the first success story. I mean, that, from my perspective, that's what we really need. To somebody, you know, some group coming out and saying, so now we have this, this protein pattern is the detection of this and this. What, whatever they, whatever they, the success story basically is, I, I think it, it's just important that, that we begin to see some success stories and that will fuel the fire and, 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 and get, get more things going. Um, we're getting closer and closer, but we still have that that final that that final clear win that that somebody needs to have, and, and that that will definitely 
um, um, move the field forward. Yeah. Nice. Well, Ole Varm, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. This has been very educational for me. Now I feel like I have some grasp on, you know, the state of the field of clinical proteomics, what, what we're trying to get to. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Chris. Okay, there are some interesting opportunities here, and certainly artificial intelligence will play a role in picking out the patterns that can be used to diagnose disease or monitor treatment. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, I suspect you did because you're still here. You probably know a couple other folks who would enjoy it also. I'd be very grateful if you would share it with them. Until next time, bye-bye.